Hey, everybody, before we start today's show, I want to tell you about another awesome podcast and also having to do with that podcast, a nasty, nasty rumor that I have mispronounced and maybe incorrectly stated one of the host's names, which might be true, might not be true. That's in the past. Let's talk about what's happening in the future. I want to talk to you about Good Morning Liberty, a great podcast hosted by Nate... And Charlie, uh, two great guys. They're down in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. They have a background in healthcare. And Good Morning Liberty is focused on finance and helping libertarians, helping people who identify with the ideas of liberty to be able to talk to their friends about current events and convey the ideas of liberty in a persuasive and influential way. Nate and Charlie uh, are very entertaining they got a great segment that is called the Dumb Bleep of the Week that you don't want to miss. And uh, you know what, guys? Just go and subscribe to Good Morning Liberty with Nate and Charlie. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And... Guys, I'm excited to bring you today's show. We're going to be talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is what has happened in the faith community, in the Christian community, or any faith community for that matter, with regard to the COVID lockdowns. We've watched as the state has pushed around um, different centers of faith, closed their doors with very little to zero pushback in many cases. And a lot of the times it's been abhorrent. And especially if you look at videos out of Canada with uh, you know pastors and ministers getting arrested in the street for trying to worship during these COVID times. Of course, like I said, I am a Christian. I am not a Catholic but uh, I, my guest today is a Catholic, and we're going to be talking from that perspective, but also the larger Christian, and even outside of that, just uh, people uh, people of faith. So hope you enjoy today's show. It's something I care a lot about, and it's something that I am really uh, concerned about going forward, uh, you know, especially where in today's world where everybody is freaking out about this uh, so-called Delta variant, what's going to happen next? You already have States going back, saying they're going to lock down again, mask up again. So let's not make the same mistake again. Let's learn from what happened and understand that in a free society, this cannot be tolerated. So hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Please subscribe. Uh, you can find the Lions of Liberty podcast on any podcasting app out there. Of course, you get our Monday show with Mark Clare. Wednesday's show, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Brian, his last episode this past Wednesday, yesterday, if you're keeping track at home with your calendar, was awesome. You know, Brian uh, texted Mark and I a couple of days beforehand about this idea he had about how to emphasize your over the. And I think he did a fantastic job. 
explaining that concept. So please, if you haven't listened, go back and check out yesterday's episode of Electric Liberty Land. And uh, if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy all of our shows, please uh, drop us a five-star review. Leave us a comment on your favorite podcasting app. And we appreciate it, guys. We appreciate you. Appreciate all our listeners. So hope you enjoy today's episode. My guest today on Finding Freedom is Phil Lawler. Phil is the author of Contagious Faith, Why the Church Must Spread Hope, Not Fear, in a Pandemic. Phil is editor of Catholic World News. His writings have appeared around the United States and abroad, including in the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and the Boston Globe. Phil, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, Phil. And uh, as I was telling you in the uh, the pre-show chat, uh, your book really resonated with me. I, I know that uh, you yourself are a Catholic, and uh, I'm not a Catholic, but but I am a Christian. And I think this is a very very important book for this time um, when we're and we're sort of at a, an interesting point where we're kind of hopefully through this pandemic and starting to look back on what's happened. So I think it's a great time to kind of reflect on what's happened with the church, the decisions that have been made, and uh, and things of that nature. But before we get into talking about your book, Contagious Faith, uh, maybe if you could just give my audience a little, little background about yourself. Oh, sure. I've been in Catholic journalism, journalism generally, for longer than I want to admit at this point, about 40 years. Uh, I've been editor of Crisis Magazine and Catholic World Report, and I started Catholic World News, which is an online news service operating on the internet, and I'm still doing that and writing books occasionally. I've been involved in politics and religious affairs for most of my adult life. So this particular book, um, obviously... I could ask you what motivated you to write it, but I think it's it's pretty pretty relevant, uh, just based on you know when you read the book, the pandemic, and and your sure. feelings as you're watching this unfold. But um, let's kind of turn turn the pages back to February, March of 2020, when this whole thing starts to unfold. Um, and you're up in Mass, you're up in Massachusetts, which is you know, if we look back on the way things played out and different areas were locked down, um, probably more so stringently locked down than, than a lot of the country, a lot of the United States. Um, obviously, people all throughout the world can listen to this. And uh, I know you talk about uh, different areas in the world. You talk about Australia and, and what's happened there as well. Um, but just to talk about the United States and your experience at the beginning of COVID, what did you... To, you know, take us back in time to that point in time. Mm -hmm. Where was your mind as you were watching this play out and unfold? Well, you know, when I first heard about it, I guess at first, at very first, it was something that was happening far away in China, and we weren't very much worried about it. And then when we started to get predictions about how dire this situation was, I was fearful, I think. Nearly everybody was fearful. The predictions that I was hearing back in March of 2020, uh, suggested that about one out of every five Americans would die of this disease. And so naturally I was scared. We were all scared. It was a while before we started to get some perspective on the disease and the level of contagion and the level of fatality, which was nowhere near what we were originally given to understand. So 
it was a it was a learning process. But what frustrated me is um, there wasn't a whole lot of learning. There was so much propaganda, so much fear, and the media um, cooperated with the people who wanted to assert control over our lives to make sure that we had a steady diet of fear journalism. And uh, eventually, as I looked at what was actually happening as opposed to what was reported, I realized that this just wasn't the disease that it had been painted, you know, that it had been made out to be. I'm not saying it wasn't a serious disease. Obviously it was, and it is, it still is, Uh, but not nearly on the level to justify the extraordinarily reaction. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Important important to point out. I mean, yes, this is a, a nasty virus. Um, a lot of people have died from it, and it does affect more so those who are older or do have underlying conditions. I don't think anybody is uh, disputing that, but I think it's great that you pointed out, you know, a lot of these mitigations that were first put in place, the lockdowns, the shutting of businesses, um, the, uh, you know, the halting of, uh, of you know, church services, um, those were put in place when we thought that one out of every five people could die from it. And that just, after we found out that wasn't the case, that sort of just stayed in place. So as, as you're watching this unfold and you're seeing the decisions the church is making, um, at what point in time did you start to really grow concerned and start to speak out? Right away. In in March of 2020, I can tell you when I was just absolutely stunned was when uh, very suddenly I couldn't go to mass. Uh, and this is this is the center of my life. And I had grown up hearing, reading about times when the church was under persecution and the churches were shut down. I understand that. But this wasn't persecution. This was the churches shutting themselves down. At the same time, the government was shutting itself down, or not shutting. The government didn't shut down. The government never shuts down, uh, but shutting everybody else down. Well, the, the government never stops taking your money, but they stopped working. They, they, they shut down right. their uh, their state. You know, their, the state government basically stopped doing any of the processing of you know business forms and things, things right. of that nature. So yeah, but right, and the courts shut down, and uh, and they shut down businesses and it was a spectacularly i mean i tried to make the i've tried to hammer home this point and i'm not sure that it's it's really caught on that this was the most extreme public policy in history outside of total war this was governments shutting down businesses knowing that they were going to crash the economies and doing it deliberately and it was stunning but you're asking me about the church and And to me, it was even more stunning. If indeed we were in danger of death, all the more reason to be right with God, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. all the more reason to do what is most important in your life. And in in the book, I asked the the sort of rhetorical question, what would you do if you knew you only had another month to live? Would you want to spend that month locked in home watching Netflix, which is apparently what the government wanted you to do? You know, or or would you want to do whatever is most important to you? Would you want to spend the time with your family, with your loved ones? You know, would you want to finish up those projects uh, that you have still undone? It's 
we were unmanned by this reaction. You know, we were, we were taken off our plans of life. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it was most distressing to me that the church went along with this because the church of all places should be a place where you can find perspective, a perspective, perspective on life and also a perspective on death because, you know, something else that this uh, virus opened up to our eyes. I think we Americans today, 21st century, we tend to forget we are, we are going to die. You know, it is going to happen, unfortunately. And Yes, you have a right to life, but you don't have a right to be protected from eventually getting sick and dying. It's going to happen. And we need, we need to keep that in perspective and not let it completely unman us when, when we do face the prospect of death. Uh, you, I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. <clears throat> and I feel like um, a lot of this is th- those who are the most fearful of death and, and maybe a lot of them, probably lacking faith, um, sort of took the reins of society. And because of their fear, um, they were able to, to push around, you know, those of us who, who have faith, which should not be the case. Um, you know, we, no, it shouldn't. And there yeah. should be pushback. There should be a strong pushback. And we live in a country where we have a First Amendment, where we are guaranteed the right to religious freedom and uh, right to assembly. And those guarantees were sort of left by the wayside because the churches voluntarily gave up those rights. The Mm -hmm. churches closed themselves. And that was the part that I find uh, inexplicable and unforgivable. So a couple different places in the book, you talk about, um, you know, you pose the question, when should the church bow to the demands of the state? And you answer that question saying, never. Um, You do have some some qualifications there, and you you can expand on that. But can you explain your uh, your reasoning there? Sure. Uh, The purpose of the First Amendment is to recognize that the right to religious freedom is prior to the state. It's not that the state grants the right to religious freedom. It's that it's an inherent God-given right, a natural right, over which the state has no control and should have no control. Now, when you are building a church, you have to adhere to the fire code. You have to adhere to local zoning. That's that's fine. That's the church acting as a citizen and, and has to be like every other citizen. Mm-hmm. But when the government tells the church how to act as a church, when the government starts giving instructions on how you can conduct communion services, That's not the business of the government. That's the business of the church. The only person in a Catholic diocese who should be telling, giving instructions on how to conduct the liturgy is the bishop of that diocese. And if anybody else attempts to, he should tell them back off and be ready with his lawyers if necessary, or be ready to defy what is obviously an unwarranted intrusion of government. And you know, when the Supreme Court did vindicate the rights of the church eventually when the case came before them and the Supreme Court ruled that the uh, COVID virus did not eliminate the First Amendment. You know, it still holds. Yeah, a lot of people talk, you know, 
the separation of church and state and how important that is. But what people miss when they're when they're you know talking about that is it's not there to protect the state from the church. It's there to protect no. the the church from from the state. And my fear is that the Catholic Church and really most major you know different uh, denominations of faith have become so married to society and government that they're afraid to uh to to step away to to step out to 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 uh yes. to make a stand. Um what what are your thoughts on that? And what can be done going forward so this doesn't happen again? Uh, oh, can I <laughs> let me can I start at the end of that question? Yeah, start start so, wherever you want. <laughs> I, I like asking questions that go multiple different ways. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um this isn't just an academic question. This isn't just a history lesson at this point. You know, people are thinking at this point, okay, here we are in June of 2021. It looks like the uh COVID vaccine the is getting people more comfortable, we're opening up, the rates of infection are going down and so forth. But don't for a minute think that this couldn't happen again. There could be another epidemic or there could be something much less serious than COVID. There could be something, and maybe it's just a seasonal flu next year. Mm -hmm. But suppose the CDC says, well, you know, to protect against yourself against the flu, you better wear masks again. You better not go to uh, parties again. You better not go to church again. And wants to close us all down again. There's a precedent that has been set, and it's a frightening precedent. It should never have been set. And we've got to we we've got to push back now. We've got to assert ourselves now. Now, I think you asked the question of. Uh, well, remind me what was what was the beginning? Well, of yeah, that I guess I, I started out just talking about you know the idea of the separation of, of church oh, and right. state and kind of how people get that backwards. Right, and I think the church needs to reassert itself. And you were making the point, yeah, uh, you were making the point that I try to make throughout my book that what went wrong as far as the churches are concerned is that too many church leaders were seeing themselves as sort of adjuncts to the government, as, mm -hmm. as community leaders, which of course, yes, they are community leaders, but that's not what they are primarily. They're spiritual leaders. And too many religious leaders were worrying about our physical health rather than our spiritual health. You know, I don't look to my bishop for guidance about my physical health. I talk to my doctor if I need guidance on that score. The bishop has no particular authority, no particular knowledge about that. Uh, and we are mature adults. You know, we should be able to make our own decisions about what sort of risk we're willing to take going out, you know, where we're willing to go. You take risks all the time. You take a risk every time you get in your car, every time you go down a flight of stairs. And if you're a mature adult, you make intelligent decisions about which, what risks you want to take. And we need, uh, I think, to assert ourselves, all of us, uh, but particularly in things that are most important to us, we need to assert ourselves and say, we don't want the government telling us how we should conduct our lives. Looks like we're freezing up here a little bit. Is that is the video freezing on your end too? No, I'm. It's all good here. Okay, let me. That's weird. Let me try one thing. 
I'll cut this part out. It's weird. I'm getting like a weird flickering on the stream. Huh. Oh well. We'll just we'll just keep going. So a a uh, a remedy, a a solution, a, a way to prevent this going forward. And you talk about this in the book. Is those of us that have faith um, to not succumb to the fear. Right. Um, having faith over fear and, and living that way, uh, showing right. it to your neighbors. So can you can you explain and expand on that? Yeah, well, that's that's the main theme of the book and the reason I called it Contagious Faith, mm-hmm. because fear is contagious, and we've seen how very contagious. I think fear was more contagious than the virus in the past year. Uh, but faith is also contagious when it's real and when it's lived with a purpose and with with, you know, boldly when it's evangelical. And if we as Christians made it clear that our faith really is the most important thing to us, that we believe in the power of our faith, in the power of our prayer, that our prayer, our worship is the center of our lives, uh, people are gonna notice. And noticing people are going to say, well, you know, it's just a lot more attractive to live that way than to live behind closed doors worrying about whether you might get sick. You know, again, you might get sick, yes, but are you going to live, are you going to let the fear of sickness dominate your whole life, or are you going to demonstrate what's most important to you? And if your faith is most important to you, again, people will notice, people will see that, that is living witness to the faith, and that's contagious. And I've seen it so many times, when you see people who live a life of integrity that's motivated by their faith, you admire them and you want to imitate them. And that's how communities of faith grow. You know, if if you read about how how the Christians became a force in the early days of the church in the Roman Empire, it was because they were distinctive. They acted differently. People noticed them. People said, these are people, these are uh, people who are motivated by their faith, we need to know more about this. And so they're open to hearing the gospel message in a way that they wouldn't be if you're just acting like everybody else. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And it's it's tough to overcome. I mean, because obviously the media is just engulfing the entire situation in, in fear. Yes. And, you know, you there were, you know, several you know, pastors and different churches that continued to meet. And of course, whenever any single one or any person in the church or any church leader got sick or or died, because there were some that died, that was the front page. You know, these people met in person and somebody died uh, just to just to instill that fear in everyone. So it's difficult to overcome um, that fear. But I mean, just just like you just like you said, there there is nothing more important in life than salvation. There's nothing more important in life than right. your, your relationship with God. So to put other things ahead of that, it's not the right way to live. It isn't. And and by the way, what's the benefit? You know, you mentioned there are there were occasions where there was you know a. Sp- an event that occurred in the church and apparently a lot of people contracted the virus. Um, And okay, you do want to take reasonable precautions. I don't want to poo-poo that. Uh, 
On the other hand, look at the number of people who died in places that should have been safe, in nursing homes, in hospitals, especially in nursing homes, at home, you know? Mm -hmm. And look at the toll that was taken. I mean, another thing that I explore, another question that I explore in this book is the tremendous, what I call collateral damage of the lockdown. You know, we, the things that we did in order to make sure that people didn't die, well, those things caused a lot of people to die, whether it's the cancer patients who didn't get screening and so the cancer wasn't caught in time, or the people who had drug problems or suicidal uh, imagery problems or domestic abuse problems. You know, there's a tremendous toll that took place and it's a toll that took place. It's a toll that we suffered. Uh, and it's a toll that you could be measured in deaths. And it's mostly a toll of fear and despair. And these are the things that faith can overcome. And as you point out in the book, it's a toll that it's still happening. And it's we're going to continue no to see... Uh, you know, the uh, collateral damage, as you put it, in, in, you know, cases of depression. And, you know, when, just to focus on, you know, kids who've been forced to wear masks and, you know, you can argue if that's, if that's right or wrong. I get angry when people say, well, there's no consequences to them if they wear the mask. It's just safety. Well, of course there's consequences. You know, these little kids with their developing minds who yes. aren't able to see if someone's smiling or, or read facial reactions or they can't do it themselves. So they can't, they're not getting that response back and forth. This, I mean, at a human level, you're totally changing things. Absolutely. We are. We, our kids are guinea pigs here. We are experimenting on a generation. And for you and me, you know, we're old enough. Uh, we've seen, we've, we've, we know how to read faces. We've gone through that development phase. Uh, but if you're a four-year-old child, you have now spent most of your conscious life looking at people wearing masks. And what's that going to do to you? I don't know. I, I mean, I think we'll find out, and I doubt it will be good. Yeah, I, I strongly doubt it'll be good. And yeah, that's I, I can't stand when people say, "Well, there's there's no there's no downside. It's just it's just safety." Well, that's that's very very short sighted. It is. Um, so so let's talk about you. You have this great uh, great line in the book, which I think is. Um, I think it really says a lot about not just COVID, but but about the way that the church and, and the world um, interact, the sort of relationship. And it's talking about uh, you know the church, the church understands the world, but the world does not understand the church. So can you expand on what, what you mean by that? Yeah, well, I think the point I'm trying to make there is that the church uh, sees things through the eyes of faith sees things through the eyes of eternity. And um, a secular society doesn't. And if you're looking, if you have a higher or broader perspective, then you see things that the other guy doesn't see. And the government sees the church as a collection of people like any other collection of people. The church sees the government in the perspective of faith, you know, uh, in the in the perspective of the New Testament and sees that governments come and go. Governments are important, but they are not the most important thing. Governments tend to think that they're the most important thing in the world. They're not. 
Yeah, governments tend to think if they if they went away or they if they're reduced in size that the whole world would fall apart. I, I don't think it would. No, I think we'll, fi- I think we'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> um, so you, you know, obviously with COVID, uh, warship did continue when they you know they brought down these lockdowns. They allow people to go back and making reservations and wearing masks and. Um, do you, do you talk about one pastor at a church who did a baptism with a squirt gun, um, crazy things like this. Right. So what's your, what's your view on this sort of evolution that we've seen? There's been obviously a, a lot more remote worship. Um, do you think there's a place for that going forward? What's, what's your view on all that stuff? I think that some worship look, uh, um, Computers and the online business are great. You know, we're doing it now. It has its place. I enjoy it. I do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But there is an element of worship that has to be personal, in-person, uh, communal. You can't do it on a computer. You have to do it with other people. You know, Jesus talks about when two or three are gathered in my name. He doesn't talk about when two or three are online. And uh, it, it's... It has to be, it's not the same to do it online. And I'm very worried uh, with the churches that have for months been telling people, oh, don't worry if you can't get here, you can just watch online. Well, how are they going to get those people back eventually into the pews? How do you walk that back? How do you tell people, okay, now we really do think that you should come to church, be part of the community, participate in worship with your fellow believers How do you say that after months of telling them it's not so important? I think we're going to see a significant drop-off in the number of people who go to church. And for an awful lot of churches, including the Catholic Church in the United States, this comes at a time when we already have plunging numbers of people uh, affiliated with the church. Now, that's the downside. And I I don't want to leave uh, your view as completely depressed because I do think that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And I see that in the churches that have uh, done everything they can to continue worshiping, that that have pressed, that have, uh, you know, pressed the envelopes on the restrictions or sometimes defied them, that have shown that it's very important to them. These churches are booming. These churches are getting people to come. And now that uh, the lockdown is less strict, not quite over, but less strict, uh, people are going to those churches much more than they're going to the others. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, You're seeing a bit of a realignment. And I think the liveliest churches, the most evangelical churches, uh, are going to have uh, a bit of a renaissance. And I think you'll see more and more people interested in them, flocking to them, and they will grow. Uh, and that's, again, my thesis that faith is contagious. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I'm kind of split on the, uh, on the remote worship. Um, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. My family, we've been remote worshiping basically this whole time with our church. Um, but there is a need for it. We also had personal connection as well remotely. We had a, a small Bible study group that we met with. Um, so, so that was very helpful. 
but you there is there, there is a, I, I do agree there is a need to be in person there is a need to be in community there is a need to be in a room full of people um worshiping there, there is definitely a place for that um but I, I have seen some really cool things happen like just like just personally uh, my parents and my wife's parents who you know for different reasons um they're they're all christians but they're different denominations and there was always trouble getting them to go to church together and during this time for the first time in a long time both sets of you know our parents were sitting down on sundays and watching uh, remote uh, worship so it's taking that and then moving that forward from there making that connection but i th- i think there's there are some positive aspects to the remote worship uh, this yeah there's an awful lot that can be done and and people have been very creative and inventive in doing it it's just particularly you know for the catholic church our sacraments are all uh, tactile sacraments. You know, you have to have water for a baptism. Yeah. You don't don't need much else, but you do need to have water, and you do need to pour it. No squirt uh, guns. Yeah. Uh, not squirt guns. Yeah, and, and you need bre- you need bread and wine to confect the Eucharist, and you need a, a bishop to put his hands on a man to make him a priest. It, it, these are physical presence things, you know, and you can't do them remotely. And that's not to say you can't do wonderful things remotely, but there are some things you can't do. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you there. And I, I, I think as, as a whole, I think maybe remote worship is a good way to start. Um, but I, yeah, I think at the end of the day, becoming a part of that community and, and being uh, in community with other believers is, is, is ultimately what, what needs to happen to grow your faith. Um, I've, I've been asking another question lately to, to people who've, who've written books that um, it's gotten some interesting reactions, but I think it's a good question because I, I read the book, but I probably missed a lot of stuff. So is there anything that you know I haven't asked today that I've missed that was really important um, that you wanted to talk about from the book? I guess it's something that I touched on earlier, which is the, that this is not a dead issue. I wrote the book in part because I realized uh, with horror that we were going to celebrate Easter for the second com- consecutive year with no public celebration to speak of. And I said, that just can't be. Uh, the liturgical life of the church cannot be uh, just swept under the rug like that. And, and not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. And, now I'm looking forward and I'm saying, will it happen again? And I'm fearful that it could happen again because I wrote the book because I wanted to make sure there was, at least insofar as I could, I'd offered a corrective, you know, fraternal correction. You can't do this again. And I know that a lot of people feel the same way. I know, uh, I know a fair number of Catholics who have gone to their bishops and said that, just don't do this, again. whatever happens. Don't do that again. Don't close down the churches. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. And I think at the end of the day, this has opened a lot of people's eyes. Obviously, not everyone's eyes. There's many people, maybe the majority, think that what the government did and what churches did by shutting down is the right thing to do. But really, uh, policy and changes in society are really accomplished by a vocal minority anyway. So right. you don't need to have a, a majority of people that, that agree with us on this. But Exactly. 
Again, faith is contagious. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. All right, well, Phil, it's been great getting to speak with you. If you could let people know where they can buy the book, where they can learn more about you or, or read more of your work, find more of your work. Sure. You can find my work pretty much every weekday on catholicculture.org. You can find the book Contagious Faith. Of course, it's on Amazon and bookstores. Or you can get it for the same price directly from the public publishers, sophiainstitute.com. Which way would you prefer that people buy, Amazon or Sophia Institute? Or do, well, do you if, care? You, if you want to make Amazon richer, you can do that. I'd, <laughs> I'd rather they go to sophiainstitute.com. That's why I ask. Thank you. Phil Thanks, Lawler, Brosky. thank you for coming on the show. This was fun. I had fun too. Thanks. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track. You know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's a really, really interesting track. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man. And please like this song, share with your friends. And it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, if you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.